Family, it's good to see you all. If you're online, thank you for joining us. I wish I could see you. My name is Eddie. I'm the lead pastor here. And it's, it's a pleasure to be able to spend some time with you. Before we get into the word, I want to make note that uh, today is Palm Sunday. Happy Palm Sunday. That's right. Hosanna. Praise the no. What is that? Salvation come. That means that next Sunday is Easter, and we are celebrating Easter here at church. We're also going to be on, online at 10 a.m. It's going to be a great moment. We have one service at 10 a.m. We'll also have a lift service. So if you're a teen, we're having a lift service. We'll start here. Yeah, give it up for the teenagers. We'll start in here, and then after wor- worship, you guys will be dismissed to your own service. In addition, we'll have some, some activities after service. There's going to be Easter eggs and and some other things, and, and we'd love for you to participate. If you can't be here, you know, if you're online or, or if you're not going to be here, you can still uh, get some of the, the goodies if you stop by our office on Friday, I believe, during our, one of our pickups, or if you come uh, Saturday. Uh, we're going to be setting up, and, and we'll have those things available. But we just want to bless you, and we hope that it'll be an encouraging moment. And I, I personally hope that you have thought about some people that, that you can invite to, to hear about this good news about the, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as I said, it is, it's Palm Sunday, and this is the beginning of, of what the church is called Holy Week. And historically, the church has taken this week to take time to consecrate ourselves to God. We remember today the tri- what's called the triumphal entry, or, or I'm going to call it the triumphal procession from the book of Luke uh, the reception of Jesus Christ as King by His disciples, and and so today and this week, I want to invite you to participate in in consecrating yourselves to the Lord. And and if you've not considered that, or, or you've maybe never heard that phrase, consecration, that that really is this idea of setting yourself apart. And so this week, I'd invite you to spend some time in Scripture, maybe spend more time in Scripture, thinking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It could be as simple as you going back through the, the texts that we've gone through in, in the previous sermons. You can read through Mark. It's a very short gospel. And meditating on what God has accomplished in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. I just want to invite you to prepare your hearts as we reflect on the death and resurrection of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Um. So today we're gonna we're almost done with this series that we've been talking about the 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 book of Luke and we've been looking through what Luke has to say about who Jesus is. This question has been coming up over and over: Who is this Jesus? And we talked about how how John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord, how he understood Jesus to be the one who who had been promised in the Old Testament, the one who was greater than him. We talked about how uh, in chapter 8 that Jesus was Lord. Who is Jesus? He's Lord over the wind and the waves. He's Lord over creation. And he's with us in our own storms. And in chapter chapter 9, we learn that Jesus is the one who is worthy of your life and my life. That if there's anyone who's worthy of your devotion, anyone who's worthy of your attention, anyone who's worthy of you giving up and sacrificing things, To quote Luke, to to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him, it is Jesus Christ. 
And today we will see that Jesus is the promised king whom we ought to worship. You know, I was reflecting as we were worshiping that that we were doing exactly what we were made to do. And, And certainly there are other aspects of worship. You can worship on a Monday at work without necessarily raising your hands and singing, but there's a a heartfelt disposition that God calls us to, that he has purposed us for, of reflecting God's glory, of thinking about how great he is, and responding in kind. Worship is something that we were made to do. I use this analogy often, but it's applicable. I love sweets, and, and I enjoy tasty things. And in fact, someone in our congregation that most of you would know of well left some, uh, some cupcakes in my office the other day, and they were carrot cake cupcakes, which normally when you take vegetables and put them in a dessert, I disagree. I just don't think that that works. But these were awesome. And, and me talking about that is an expression of my appreciation, and it, and it completes the, the joy that I feel having eaten it, right? When you experience something good, you want to share that thing. That's what worship is, and, and we've been called to worship, and we're going to see that these disciples, they saw Jesus for who he was, and worship sprang out of them. We're called to worship the promised king. So I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 19, if you'll join me. Uh, we do this as a, as a means of, of reverencing God and his word. If you could stand with me and read out loud together with me, we're going to read Luke chapter 19, verses 36 through 40. Luke chapter 19, verses 36 through 40. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we find ourselves once again before your word, under your word, which calls us to respond appropriately to your Son. And Holy Spirit, I pray that by your power, you would open up the Scripture to us, that you would soften our hearts, that you would warm our affections, that we would get a sense of your awesomeness as we consider your works, and that we would respond like the disciples do in worship. God, that we would, we would consider Christ appropriately, rightly, as king, as the promised Messiah, as the one whom you prepared for throughout all of the Old Testament, the one who was expounded upon in all of the New Testament, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would not fall into the pit of disbelief, of unbelief, like the Pharisees, seeing your works and yet having our hearts hardened. God, would you soften our hearts? Would you apply this word to us in such a way that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, we would 
live and worship as though, Jesus, you were king, because you are king. We pray all of this in the name of our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Now, the, the other Gospels refer to this event as somewhat of, as a triumphal entry. And what, what's actually happening is that Jesus is traveling. Um, he's been ministering kind of northeast of here in, in Jericho and, and further up north. And he's coming southwest. I guess southwest for you guys is this way. If you can imagine Jer- Jericho's here. He's traveling southwest. Jerusalem's here. He's approaching Jerusalem. This is his last trip to Jerusalem. And he's approaching the Mount of Olives, which, which was this ridge that, that stood to the to the east of, of Jerusalem. So you had Jerusalem, then a little bit uh, east of Jerusalem, you had the Kidron Valley, and then you had this Mount of Olives. It, it was a, kind of a hill, not super tall mountain, something between a mountain and a hill, where there were, there were olive trees. It was rife with olive trees. And this was a place of significant um, eschatological import. It was an important place. A lot of things happen there. Things happen in the Old Testament there, and we won't go into all that, but, but I believe that David was buried there, and in, in Jesus' ministry, much happens there. If we were to fast forward, we'd see that, that Jesus goes and he rests at the Mount of Olives, that he does some ministry at the Mount of Olives, and in fact, his, his prayer, his final prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane, uh, we're not exactly sure, but we believe that it, it's in, in the Mount of Olives maybe slightly to the west on the western edge, but it's, it's in the Mount of Olives. And so here he's approaching this area where he's been ministering, where people have seen him minister, where he has spent time and rested. And he is, he's coming once again to, to approach uh, the people of God. Now, the rest of this section, I, I, I would break it down this way. We have, we have the, the approach which, which we call the royal procession. And then we see the, the disciples' right worship. You see, in contrast to that, the, the Pharisees' wrong perspective. And then Jesus finishes this section with a radical reality. We see the royal perspective, or the royal procession, rather, in, in verse 36. The right worship of the disciples in verses 37 and 38 the wrong perspective of the Pharisees in verse 39. And finally, Jesus gives us this radical reality. And, and Luke is coming to an end here. He's, he's beginning to finish up his gospel message. And he's been, as you've, as you've seen, he's been giving us examples and stories that, that cause us to ask the question and answer appropriately, who is this Jesus Christ? And this is applicable to your life and my life because we all have to reckon with, we have to consider and answer for ourselves this question, who is Jesus Christ? But not in some sort of postmodern, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, but recognize we're really deciding for ourselves, what is my relationship going to be to the, with this historical person? How am I going to relate to this person? I'm not saying that it's up for grabs that Jesus existed. He existed. I'm not saying it's up for grabs that Jesus made, uh, did miracles. He did miracles. 
I'm not saying it's up for grabs that he died on a cross. He died on a cross. These are all historical realities. I'm not saying that it's up for grabs that he rose again. We have witnesses upon witnesses that he did these things. What I'm saying is, as we begin to close out this section, and, and next week we consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want you to ask yourself, how will I respond to this question, who is Jesus? Will I respond as we see the, the disciples respond? Or will I respond as the Pharisees respond? So as I said, in verse 36, we see this royal procession. And as he rode, they spread their cloaks on the road. I want you to think about this for a minute. Um, It it says in verse 37 that uh, as he was drawing near, already already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice. So they had been waiting for him. He'd been traveling from Jericho, and they, they got themselves there. They knew that he was going to come through this area, and they had prepared themselves. Now, if we were to back up, we see that, that Jesus is riding on a donkey. It says uh, in verse 28, And when he had said these things, finishing up the previous section, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, the mount of Uh, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, or colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, so so those who were sent went away and found it just as he told them. And and it goes on. So Jesus ends up riding on this colt. and, And if you, aren't familiar with the Old Testament, or, or maybe you haven't heard this story before, you might just be asking yourself, why is this detail in here? And that is a great instinct. When you're reading scripture, and you come across something that you understand, don't understand, that's something to pause, write down that question, and see if you can find an answer to it. And, and we, we read this, and why did, why did Luke include this? But I want you to picture Jesus riding on a colt, and he, he's been ministering to Jewish individuals. And then I want you to hear some of the things that were prophesied in the Old Testament. Listen to, listen to this is out of the book of Zechariah, an Old Testament prophet, talking about a promise of God. It says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. In other words, the, the Israelites. Shout out loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now for you and I, we may not necessarily be as well versed with Zechariah. You may have forgotten that it was in the Bible. Um, That is fine. But they understood the significance of this moment. They understood what Jesus was doing. And Jesus did this intentionally. He wanted to create a picture for them, a vignette. He wanted to, to put all the pieces in together so that they could say, aha, and have an aha moment. He was an amazing teacher. God had been preparing over and over again. And we see that, that in, just to take a little excursus, we see in, in, in verse 38 that they respond appropriately. They respond by quoting Psalm 118. Verse 26, it says this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now they, they change it a little and say, Blessed is the king 
who comes in the name of the Lord because they know Zechariah 9.9 and they see Jesus as this king. And so they are taking their, their cloaks and throwing them on the ground. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I, I don't like to make my clothes dirty and I don't like to throw them on the ground, but they're throwing, colt, they're, they're throwing their cloaks on the ground in order that a donkey might ride over it. This is not a bicycle. This is not Jesus walking with new shoes. This is a donkey. You don't house train donkeys. I don't know if you've ever watched like a horse walking. There are moments where things happen. I'll just put it that way. And you'll be glad that you're on the horse and not behind the horse. So they're, they're preparing the way. They're sacrificing their clothing they're giving Jesus this regal red carpet treatment. It's a royal procession. And Jesus is intentionally riding on the donkey. And, and their king approaches. And how do they respond when their king approaches? Read on with me. Verses 37 and 38. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice Praise and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, I want you to hear the logic here. They were praising God for all the works that God had done. But this praise was elicited by who? The presence of who? Jesus. So they weren't saying, oh, Jesus, let me think about the things that, that happened in the Old Testament. They're saying all the works that God had done through Jesus. They were recognizing that Jesus, he was, he was an anointed Messiah, a king, a, a prophet. Someone who, who was working and on behalf of the Lord, on behalf of, of God the Father. And it says in verse 38 that they were saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They were calling Jesus the king. They weren't vacillating. They weren't sure, or they weren't unsure about him. They were calling him the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And when we think about in the name of the Lord, maybe you think about prayer. Lord God, we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And it's almost unfortunate that we pray that way because we lose what we're trying, what's trying to be said when we say in the name of the Lord. When you do or say something in the name of a person, you're doing it with that person's authority that person's presence, in a sense, that person's uh, approval. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of Yahweh. Blessed is the king who represents the authority of Yahweh. Blessed is the king who comes representing Yahweh. Blessed is the king whose power comes from Yahweh. They were saying, blessed is the one who came, comes in the name of the Lord. Not just as, as we think of names. My name is James Edward Barnes. Edward, it means usurper, I believe. No, it means protector. I think James means usurper. That's the point. I don't know what my, name's means, my name means. Because we don't, have, we don't hold to a great level of significance when we think about that. This was significant. He was coming in the name of and when we see the, Lord, the, the, the word Lord there, it's, it's Yahweh. Because they're, again, quoting Psalm 118 where the word there is Yahweh. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. I'm quoting Deuteronomy 34 where, where Jesus, or not where Jesus, where, where Yahweh, God the Father, reveals himself. They worship because they think of the things that God has done in and through Jesus. What, what has Jesus done? If we were to go back to Luke chapter 7, if we were keeping in, in, in this book, what has Jesus done? He gives this response to some of the disciples of, of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had some struggles. He ends up getting put in jail, and he sends his disciples to say, are you really the, the, the one? Are you the one who, who has come to, to bring salvation, to bring freedom from the captives, for the captives? And, and Jesus responds and says this, Go and tell John when you've seen, what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. Jesus encapsulates his ministry in, in just a few short words. But he had done amazing things. People had received sight. The deaf could hear. Lepers were healed. The dead were raised. And this was all praiseworthy. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They respond in worship. Have you considered, family, what God has done for you? Have you considered, I'll say it again, have you considered what God has done for you? Just put aside for a second the things that you need. Put aside for the second the, the problems in your life. Put aside for, the, for a second the things that are stressing you out, that are upsetting you, that are, are, are drawing you away from good sleep. And consider, have you considered what God has done for you? Luke invites us to count our many blessings. I don't know about you, I grew up in, in, in I went to several Baptist churches and there's a song, I'm not going to sing it for you, but the lyrics go, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Think of all the things that God has done. And the point of that song is to, to raise our eyes up, to change our perspective. I love what, what Pastor Jermaine said about how, how sometimes God puts us in positions, not necessarily to bless us as the, as the world would seek blessing, but to draw us near to himself. And in those moments, he invites us to, to count our many blessings. What has God done in your own history? And if you, if you have trouble, go, go to this history and, and ask, God, what have you done in this history? You know, sometimes we read scripture and we're like, they saved the Israelites and they crossed the Red Sea. And we're so familiar with it. Or, or we're so unengaged in the reading that we don't think about the fact of, what does that look like? Were there fish? Could they see fish? Like, were there beads of water? Because it says they walked across on dry land. It wasn't muddy. So, like, was it, was it misty? Right? Did, the, did the water evaporate into a, were they walking across in the mist? 
What did that look like? That's crazy. And then just imagine how how awesome, let's just be honest, how awesome it would have been to be Moses. Everyone crosses, you see the enemies of God going over in chariots, and God drops the mic, boom, Red Sea comes back, everyone's dead. That's amazing. And, and, and so, I, sometimes you read scripture and it's like, they crossed the Red Sea. And you're like, okay, they crossed. But, but engage your imagination. You know, pretend you're Steven Spielberg. How would this look? People raised from the dead. There are questions involved. What were they thinking? What did they smell like? Did they feel weird? Did they, were they thirsty? Did they have to go to the bathroom? What was going on? Jesus raised him from the dead. Worship is the right response when the king comes. Luke contrasts this with the response of the Pharisees in verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the, cra- in the crowd, these knuckleheads, they just want, they were looking for trouble. Like, you don't have to come to the party. You don't want to celebrate? Go somewhere else. But they're in the crowd. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Family, if you are telling God what he's doing is wrong, you're wrong. And I know that we're like, well, I don't do that. But when you argue with God, when you, when you hear that prompt that says, mm, don't do that, you're like, God. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to listen to that. You know? When, when you, when you, those tantalizing words that you want to say in that argument, and you, you, you feel the Spirit of God just kind of do this. Put his hand over your mouth, and you remove that hand and say, I'm going to say those words. You, you are participating as the disciples did. God, rebuke your, your disciples. God, get, get in line. Get in line. I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. This is not, we're, we're all in this process together. And, and what we need to recognize is that we all have a little Pharisee in us. We all have a little Pharisee in us. And, and if, you, if you heard me say that and you thought about someone else, you need to work on it. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, they saw Jesus, they saw the works of Jesus Christ. They saw his ministry. They saw his compassion. And yet their hearts were hardened. I want you to hear that. They saw the works of God and their hearts were hardened. In Exodus, Moses calls Pharaoh, and he says, let my people go, or there's going to be a plague. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then Moses comes again, offering another opportunity for mercy. Mercy. And he says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh do? He hardens his heart at the presentation of mercy. Ten times, let my people go. Listen to the word of the Lord. And he hardens his heart 
At a couple points, he gives temporary fake repentance. That gives me pause. Have you ever said to yourself, God, I repent of that, and then two seconds later, you're doing it again? That attitude, that action, that behavior. Family, this is dangerous stuff. Because the gospel, for some, it softens their hearts. For others, it hardens it. Now, the point of this is not for you to try and figure out from God's perspective, uh, is this supposed to soften my heart or harden my heart? The answer is respond. The answer is worship. The answer is repent. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Get in line, Jesus. When you hear of the good works of God, when you hear the gospel, you have two options. Worship or harden your heart. You know, when I was in college, we, I had like four different majors. Like I was like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And there are people who are quote-unquote undecided and just floating through college, general ed, enjoying life, spending their parents' money, figuring out, I'll, I'll decide what I'm going to do after Halo, after the PS3 comes. You can't live like that as it relates to the gospel. You may be able to go to Nova, you may be able to go to GMU or UNCG as it as was my case, you may be able to be undecided as it relates to your major, but, but God is not going to allow us to be undecided as it relates to our response to the gospel. And a negative response or a non-response is a response. Indecision at its core is a decision. Because we don't lack information. Our primary issue is not a lack of information. The, the, the Pharisees, family, it's so scary they knew the Bible. They knew the Bible better than, not that I know the Bible a ton, but they knew the better Bible better than me. They were teachers of the Bible. And yet they missed it. It's not for a lack of knowledge. You're not going to be able to go, to have, uh, go, go before the throne of God where he judges those who, who go to heaven and those who go to hell and say, I just didn't know. They chose there was a willfulness to their disobedience. In Romans, Paul tells us that God has revealed himself to a significant degree, sufficient that we can be held accountable for our response. You and I are going to be held accountable for the knowledge that we do have. Your friends and family, this is why it's so important to, to call people and to pray for them and 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 to invite them and, and share the gospel because we are all going to be held accountable. These knuckleheads in the middle of the crowd try to correct him. And he responds with a radical reality. I tell you, verse 40, if these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. I, I, I just have to imagine that that there was, a, there was a depth to his voice in that moment. There was a seriousness to his voice. 
you want to call into question the rightful worship of these people? Let me tell you something. If they were quiet, all of creation would be crying out. As one commentator put it, lifeless rocks can identify life better than the Pharisees. And I've said it before, frogs don't struggle to worship God. Plants don't struggle to worship God. Bears don't struggle to worship God. Stars don't struggle to worship God because they appropriately reflect the glory of their creator in their existence and their behavior. Humans are the only individuals who fail to worship their creator appropriately. And we would think it would be silly and funny to see a little squirrel worshiping an owl. We would say, that's silly. Or to see, to see a bear bowing down to some penguins. See, that's bizarre. That's weird. And yet, we find ourselves worshiping other things than God the creator. I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Family, Luke is trying to get at something. And this is, guys, this is why it's so important to read your Bibles and to read them in, in like big chunks. Even if it takes you a long time to work through, because he had an intention. He, he didn't just write verses so that we could put them on t-shirts and mugs. Right? He, he's giving a message that he wants us to, to get the impact of. And I'm hoping that over the last four weeks and, and including next week, you'll get the impact of him saying, who is Jesus for you? And again, not in this sort of like, who do you think Jesus is? I'm going to make it up. You know, we're all postmoderns. You choose, you know, your reality. I choose my reality. No, I'm saying, how are you going to respond to the reality of Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus for you? There's no undecided. Now, God is gracious, and he gives time, and he waits. And, and any length of time that, that, that we have where we, are, we treat the gospel as something that we can be undecided about is, is mercy. Because God could have just said, well, you guys are disobedient and brought judgment. But he, he waits. He gives people opportunity for repentance. He calls us to faith and repentance. He presents the gospel over and over and over and over. He says this good news that even though you and I are sinners, even though we are rebels, even though we are wicked in God's eyes, God loves us so much that he would send his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life over against our imperfect life, sinful, wicked life, die on the cross, bearing our sin on his shoulders, and then rising again, defeating Satan's sin and death so that anyone who would put their faith in him would have eternal life, not because of their behavior, their actions, or their, their beliefs, but because, well, their belief, yes, but because they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This, this is what God offers to us. And Luke is inviting you once again to consider who is this Jesus? And today, I would beg you, family, not to harden your heart. And some of you, some of you are Christians and, and you think, don't write me off right now. 
I'm not saying, did you make a decision six years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago? I'm not saying, do you have a little baptism plaque? I'm saying in your life now, are you laying down the cloaks of your life before the king? Are you taking the things that are valuable and making a way for the king? Are you responding on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in worship? Who is Jesus to you? Christian? Non-Christian? Questioning, unsure person? You know, believer who, who, who was born with, with a cross? <laughs> your, mom, your mama prayed for you and, and, and took you to church your whole life? That's, that, those are all good things. I'm thankful for that. But you have to reckon with this question. You have to answer. You have to consider this question and answer for yourself. Who is Jesus? And Luke would invite you to consider Jesus king who is worthy of your worship. Let's pray. Father God, we worship you. God, on this Palm Sunday, as we consider this triumphal procession, this, this royal reception, as we, as we picture the, the disciples praising your name, worshiping you, bowing down, extolling your goodness, yelling, screaming, shouting, jumping up and down. God, I pray that we would be found in that company. God, would you, would you confirm in our hearts that we worship you, Lord? Would you draw up our hearts to worshiping you? God, I pray that for the hearts that are cold, that you would ignite a passion, that you would warm our hearts toward you, that we would, that our, our love, our affection, our care, our, our, our emotional response would be in line with who you are. For those whose hearts have been hardened by sin, God, I pray that you would bring conviction, brokenness, and repentance. As you offer once again the opportunity to repent and turn away from our sins and turn to you, God, I pray that we would respond in repentance. And God, for those who, who are weary and tired and worn out, God, I pray that you would help us to counter many blessings, to lift our head to a king, and to once again hope in God, who is our salvation. God, we sing Hosanna and hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. Don't, don't assume that tomorrow is another option. Don't assume that you can, you can think about this and, and another day you can make the decision because tomorrow is not promised to any one of us. Today, God is saying, what is your response? And today I would ask you to turn and to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your Lord, the one who is ruler of your life, and as your Savior, the one who brings you into a right relationship with God through his life, death, and resurrection. If that's you, I, I just ask you to 
raise your hand if you're online and that's you. I'd ask you to, to click the, the button and to, to connect with the host and just pray this prayer for me. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it's just a response to God for what he's doing in your heart. God, I, I turn away from everything I know to be sin and I turn to you and ask you to help me to walk out a life of faith in my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that Jesus, you are king and I am not king. I thank you that you are my savior. I thank you that you offer eternal life through trusting in you. And I receive it in Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, let us know. Family, I love you. I'm excited for Easter. Thank you for joining us.